Hello once again to Watches of Tomorrow Filler as we are uh, finishing our prep for the uh, the first season of the animated series of Star Trek. Uh, I figured I'd give you guys another little uh, filler here to help tide you over. Another story written by me. Yes, yes, yes. This one's a bit on the spooky side, but not that spooky. Maybe. But, uh, you know, it's a little late for Halloween, but, you know, what about second Halloween, you know? <laughs> Hope you enjoy. This is Dark Orb by me. Detailed report. On May 23rd, 2023, I was contacted by the Office of Orb Research in Washington, D.C. The man on the phone identified himself as Eric Chambers and provided the appropriate identification information to confirm his identity. He informed me that I would shortly receive via email an assignment from the Office of Orb Research. I informed Mr. Chambers that this was not the proper way to push assignments to my office, to which Mr. Chambers made it clear that he had already attempted such and decided to go outside the chain of command to ensure that someone was looking into a specific lead he was interested in. I lodged further protests, but in the end conceded the inevitability of official orders from the Office of Orb Research. The email contained location data, image attachments, and a text attachment of a report from a woman named Sylvia McCormick. The location data was for a rural part of northwest South Dakota. A quick map check suggested location on some farmland. The attached images, settlement A, features several aerial photos of a nearby farm. The file names were dates before and after the appearance of the dark orb. The photos after Orb Day showed a large hole in the roof of the large barn on the property. The ones before did not. The text attachment, supplement B, was a transcript of an interview between Mrs. McCormick and local police on the subject of Dark Orb sightings. Mrs. McCormick claimed to have seen the Dark Orb in the sky some 20 miles away from the signified location traveling through the air at moderate speed. The body of the email contained the required confirmation information to verify that it was a direct order from the Office of Orb Research, a brief rundown of why I was their chosen investigator, and the detailed orders. The detailed orders were for me to investigate the bar in the, in the photos and to, grant, and, my, and to grant me authority uh, under the Office of Orb Research to do all that is necessary to gain useful information from the scene. After final checks and organizing the information, I contacted my partner, Agent Kuva, and requested her assistance in this task. After that, I contacted my superior, Director Miller, to inform him that I had been temporarily activated by the Office of Orb Research. The following morning, Agent Kuva and I boarded a flight from Los Angeles to Denver, where we caught a charter flight to Pierre. We acquired a rental car and drove to our destination, arriving at a hotel at approximately 8 that evening. The next morning, we decided to check out the first lead, Miss Sylvia McCormick. We located her at a retirement home where she works approximately five miles from the location of interest. After a long wait, after requesting to speak with Mrs. McCormick, we were eventually allowed to some time to speak with her alone. After extensive questioning, we were able to confirm her view as, as expressed in the previous transcript with only minor rewording on her part. We asked after several things not present in the provided transcript. We asked why she contacted the authorities after what she saw, and she explained that she didn't think too much of it immediately after seeing it, as she had been on her way to work and had to focus on her daily tasks. But upon coming home and seeing the mass panic over a large swath of the country, she felt compelled to contact the local police to mention what she saw. Due to the growing mass panic, the police were unable to perform the original interview for another five days. We asked if she felt anything unusual upon first seeing the dark orb, 
and she said she had not, and seemed confused as to why some people did. We asked if she had seen anything else unusual that day, or the days previous, and she had not. We asked if anyone had spoken to her about the Dark Orb prior to the original interview, and she confirmed that people had spoken to her about it, but only after the initial news reports. At the end, I, asked, I decided to ask her if anyone had attempted to contact her about her experiences regarding the Dark Orb since the police interview. She said that she had gotten a single call from the Office of Orb Research six months prior to our meeting, asking to confirm that she had in fact given the initial interview. She says that she confirmed this and the caller hung up. Agent Kuva offered Mrs. McCormick our contact information, which she accepted, and offered to fast-track any medical requests she may have, which she suggested would be not be necessary. The entirety of the interview is provided in Supplement C, with a transcript in Supplement C1. Our next destination was the identified farm. During the transit, we had determined that the farm belonged to Jeremiah, Jeremiah Sano, who did not reside on the property. Agent Kuva had, had by this point attempted to contact Mr. Sano at his listed number, but had failed to do so. Further record checks suggest that Mr. Sano had not been seen since the arrival of the Dark Orb, but lacked any official missing person designations or death record. All acquired of official documentation on Mr. Sano is contained in Supplement D. We arrived at the farm in the early afternoon. We know that there was no visible vehicles present except for a rusted tractor and a dirt bike. Both appeared to have not been used in years. The house appeared dark and in poor repair, as did the barns. After a quick survey of the exterior area, we approached the door of the house and knocked. After three attempts, we determined that it was likely that there was nobody home, at which point, under our special authority granted by the Office of Orb Research, we entered the house. We confirmed that the house was indeed empty, but there were signs that it had been someone living in it. Electricity worked, food in the fridge, freshly cleaned clothes in the dryer, that sort of thing. Deciding to be cautious, we now checked out the smaller of the two barns. Agent Kuva noted an unpleasant smell upon our opening of the main doors. A visual inspection of the interior quickly turned up a number of horse corpses. Each corpse was covered in what appeared to be tumors. This is, of course, consistent with some of the long-term side effects observed with most of those who go within 318 meters of the Dark War. There were no living animals observed in the barn, and the corpses seemed to be relatively untouched, but partially decayed, suggesting death within the last few months. As no human had yet succumbed to such cancers, it is hard to compare the results of the animals to those expected of human, humans afflicted with a similar instance of tumors. We found no other items of interest in the smaller barn. After checking out the two small sheds of the property, we moved on to the larger barn. From the outside, we could see that the barn did indeed have extensive roof damage. However, the rest of the structure seemed relatively intact and safe to enter. I opened the large main door with the intent being to eliminate the interior as best as possible. This was, of course, possibly a moot point. Agent Kuva and I entered with weapons drawn, but quickly determined that we were alone, at which point we holstered our weapons and proceeded to do a more complete inspection of the contents of the barn. The barn had undergone extensive changes from the original construction, as best we could tell, to accommodate the present contents. This included several moved primary steel supports and additional construction to shore up the structural instability caused by these modifications. At some point, the observation of these modifications brought further concern about the structural stability of the barn. Central to the barn was a large device. The device was made primarily out of wood and had general, a general form of a gyroscope. The core of the device contained a smaller but still substantial ring or torus-like structure, also made primarily out of wood. Agent Kuva informed me that the smaller structure reminded her of something from science class she took in college. I hope her report reproduces more details as she did not have them 
uh, you know, available at the time. But I can say that this part of the structure appeared to be segmented of large block-like structures and essential tube-like structure. As we inspected the structure, we opened up several sections and observed inside a mix of electronics and pieces of wood that appeared to be carved in a manner similar to electronics. The impression was that the core of these wood circuit boards was a thin sheet of balsa wood with harder wood inlays laying out what appeared to be a circuit pattern. Components, also wood, were embedded in this pattern, each made of, out of yet different types of wood. These wooden boards were, for the most part, separated from the actual electronics, except for the actual electronics were slotted into the wooden structure in a fashion akin to a module card in a personal computer. All these electronic parts, real and wood, remain clear of the central tube within the torus structure. There were also sections that appeared upon inspection of the interior, filled with wooden coils in various arrangements. All parts of the structure and the other unusual woodcrafts appeared to be hand-carved. Within the gyroscope-like structure, the torus was able to be moved with great effort to a limited number of orientations. There were a number of cables attached to several points of the surrounding gyroscope that led to other items in the barn. These cables were a mix of off-the-shelf coax and cables that appeared to be imitating coax cables. What I mean by imitation is, similar, is that they were similar to the wood circuit boards and that these other cables appeared to be well-crafted replicas of the standard model, but made out of wildly inappropriate materials. We didn't verify the full makeup of the cables, but it was easy to determine at least the thick paper exterior, wood connectors, and plant fiber core. These alternative cables were the majority leading out of the central construct. The traditional cables all led to computers and electronics rack set up one corner of the barn. The alternative cables connected to a myriad of points throughout the barn, including, but not limited to, a plastic bucket, the ground, steel barn wall, a large rock, sandstone, and a pile of manure. Most connected to nothing. One connected to what appeared to be more woodcraft electronics, this time in the form of a personal computer. Attempts to boot up this computer yielded no results. We were unable to determine if it was plugged in or not. The more standard computer components were able to be activated. However, before we could gain access to anything other than the login screen, we heard a vehicle approaching outside. Agent Kuva shut down the computer while I moved outside to intercept any would-be visitors. A mid-2000s model Ford truck pulled onto the property. I signaled my presence to the driver. He exited the vehicle and introduced himself as Marcus Jared. This was, as we found out later, not his real name. He is actually Marcus McConnell, but for the purpose of this report, I shall refer to him as Marcus to avoid confusion. I informed him that I was there on routine check of the property in search of Mr. Sano. Marcus appeared to believe my explanation. After I identified myself, he asked Marcus if he had seen Mr. Sano and if they had any sort of relationship. Marcus claimed that he rented the property from Mr. Sano and that he paid his rent by a check to a post office box. I asked for the post office box address and Marcus said that he'd need to get the address from inside. As we headed inside, Marcus asked why I had been in the barn. I claimed that it was my responsibility to check the entirety of the property and that given the hour of the, the main barn seemed like a logical place to start. Marcus seemed less accepting of this explanation given his mannerisms. Inside the house, Marcus proceeded to play a game of looking for the address. Eventually, I let him elude me for a few moments. This resulted in a used envelope with an address written on the back. I thanked him and pocketed the envelope, making sure to graze a finger over the ink. As there was a smear of ink left on my finger, I suggested that, indeed, he had just written down the address while out of sight. I thanked him and asked if I, I, he had a phone number for Mr. Sano, and if not, if I could have his number for any follow-up questions I might have. 
Marcus did not have a number for Mr. Sano, but did provide a number for his cell. During all of this, Agent Kuva was keeping an eye on the situation from outside the house. Understanding procedure, I moved my interaction with Marcus to the front room of the house while I began asking more probing questions. I began with the fact that Mr. Sano was gone, had gone missing roughly at the same time as the arrival of the Dark Orb, and if Marcus had any info that might suggest a connection. He claimed ignorance of this connection. I asked if he had observed anything unusual that day, or uh, the day of, or immediately before, or after the arrival of the Dark Orb. He mentions a rainstorm that day, but otherwise nothing out of the ordinary. Later checks of the weather that day in the area suggested the sunny skies. I asked how Marcus came to rent the property, and if he had ever actually seen Mr. Sano face to face. Marcus claimed that he had started renting the property three months prior after a series of phone calls to the previous renter. At this point, I moved to the window. I spotted Agent Kuva to verify that she was near. I made a show of looking out the window at the unworked farm fields, and then asked about the farm, specifically what crops Marcus grew. Marcus said corn. However, given the lack of corn stock in the field, I knew he was lying. Marcus then told a story about how he used to work on a soybean farm, but preferred corn. I am no expert on agriculture, but these claims and some of the included details made it very clear that he had no experience with working on a farm. I then asked him if he could give me a complete tour of the property. He denied my request. I thanked him and moved towards the exit. Once outside, I met up with Agent Kuva and quickly made our way to the car. I gave her my general impression that Marcus was clearly hiding something. Agent Kuva suggested we invoke our full authority under, under the Office of Orb Research to continue our investigation. We had not seen any weapons in the house, but I warned that Marcus still had act, still could have access to such, and that we should withdraw for the time being to assess the situation. We departed and parked a mile down the road for a time to watch for Marcus leaving. After several hours, we gave up on this plan and started back to town, making sure to pass the farm the one last time on our way. As we neared the farm's entry, Agent Kuva drew my attention to the rising smoke. We changed course and pulled back to the, into the farm, where we observed that there were flames visible through the main dar barn's uh, roof damage. We exited the vehicle and proceeded with caution towards the main barn, both of our weapons drawn. From our previous experience and the layout of the barn, we opted to make use of the two side doors on either side of the structure. I made the noisy entrance, kicking down the door. Inside, I could see the gyroscope structure and the embedded torus engulfed in flames. The fire had not spread much beyond, and so I had deemed it safe to proceed further. I cautiously stepped in, weapon at the ready, and searched for Marcus. There was a gunshot, and I do dove behind a stall wall as several more shots were fired. I shouted for the gunmen to surrender. There were several more shots, including a final one from Agent Kuva. Agent Kuva called to me to announce that the gunman was down. I emerged to recover, and we moved to where Marcus had fallen. Marcus was still alive, but bleeding heavily. Agent Kuva kept her gun on him, and I moved his dropped pistol away before checking him for other weapons, after which I proceeded to attempt to deal with his wound. During this, he bowled a number of things, most of which I don't remember, but he did say explicitly that Jeremiah Sano was responsible. He had set the fire, and that his soul was cleaner than ours. Agent Kuva may have remembered more. Follow-up questions didn't go anywhere before we passed out. With the fire growing in intensity, we decided to move Marcus out of the barn and to wait for the local authorities to arrive. After their arrival, we returned Marcus over to their custody, where he began proper medical treatment. We filled in this local sheriff on our investigation and the general information we had obtained. Firefighters were able to put out the fire, but the structure in the barn had sustained extensive damage. 
What more, the fire chief declared the barn structurally unsound. We would, over the following days, be required to deal with that decision so that we could extract the remains of the burnt structures. Several of the local authorities rightly made protests at the time for the investigation of investigative methods we used and promised to write substantial reports reflecting these protests. As I have made similar protests about the blanket authority granted the, those working for the Office of Orb Research, the, this should be not a surprise. However, given the laws that are presently written, we did not overreach during our initial search, given we had that authority granted to us, and there was the issue of a missing person as well. Our follow-up visit to Marcus at the hospital that evening resulted in us learning that he had woken up and attacked a nurse. During his restraining, he managed to injure several orderlies and himself. We began to handle the basic paperwork for charges against Marcus and to obtain custody. However, upon our return the next morning, we were informed that he had died during the night from internal bleeding. We spent the rest of the day working on administrative tasks. We returned to the farm the day after to conduct a more thorough search. The computers in the barn were still mostly intact, but the electronics rack had been smashed with what appeared to be an axe. The computer hard drives contained minimal files beyond standard operating system essentials. However, each did have some sort of custom software designed to interpret the capable inputs. However, there was no recorded data files that we could locate, and there was no active input from the cables given we were no longer plugged in. All the wood-carved items had been set on fire, and most were nearly entirely or entirely destroyed. We took a number of photographs of the remains and took notes of what we had seen before and what was now present. These can be found in Supplement E. Further search of the house and other structures led to non-substantial discoveries. However, in the house we did locate several books pertaining to electronics and particle physics, while all the other books pre present were of a fictional nature. A search of the Marcus McConnell's car resulted in no specific physical evidence. However, on a hunch, I looked into the vehicle's plates and discovered that the vehicle was flagged for several uh, moving violations in western Idaho three years ago, while the truck was already the property of Marcus McConnell. It should be noted at the time of the traffic incidents, Marcus McConnell was on record as residing in Minnesota. Further checks over the following three days left us with an impression of Marcus McConnell's habits and place in the community, specifically that he was a recluse who only interacted with others as necessary. He had appeared in the community some four months before the arrival of the Dark Orb and made his residency official two months after. However, the address he used was a sub-address from the farm property that, as best we could determine, meant that he was living in the large shed officially, not the main house. A slight difference in the used address compared to the actual property address would explain why he was not flagged as a person of interest with regards to the property. Further questions in the community about Mr. Sano do not lead to any further details or clues, nor any questions regarding Mr. Sano or Marcus McConnell's connections to the Dark Orb. We determined soon after that the most immediate leads were at an end and moved on to transportation of the remains of the contents of the large barn. After completing the general arrangements of the arrival of Agent Casimir, we handed off custody of the materials. After returning to the home office, I made a series of follow-up calls to Marcus McConnell's family and the reporting authorities in western Idaho. The family was of no use as they'd been estranged for a number of years. The authorities in western Idaho were similarly of limited use, but did regale me with a lengthy story about a high-speed car chase. I mentioned this as the story ended with the pursuing officers being convinced that the mid-2000s Ford truck with a Minnesota license plate used by Marcus McConnell had eluded her in such a fashion that she was sure it had driven into a forested ravine. It might be useful follow-up to take a look at the ravine and to check out the area to determine if there is any connection to the, uh, the goings-on at the Santa farm 
and I have made a formal request with the Office of Orb Research to handle such a follow-up. Though it is difficult to determine much from the evidence as observed, I can make some interpolations to suggest a few things about what will be observed. I am fairly convinced that this farm, and specifically the wood structures within, have some strong connection to the Dark Orb. Furthermore, I highly suspect Marcus McConnell and Jeremiah Sino were both involved with the arrival of the Dark Orb personally. It should be a high priority to locate Mr. Sano, if at all possible, and to bring him in for questioning. There is, I feel, a strong possibility that the wood structures in the, is the point of origin for the Dark Orb, and given the danger it possesses to all life on Earth, the recorded materials should be given the full attention to the Office of Orb Research. However, given the bizarre nature of the device, I cannot with any certainty believe my own conclusions without you know, a single doubt. That said, if this is how the Dark Orb came to be, there must exist somewhere some book, note, or video suggesting the process of this device's construction, purpose, and design. But more, given the lack of woodworking tools beyond the most basic of the on the property during our investigation, this suggests that the device was not crafted at the barn. An expansive list of locations in the area where such crafting could be done is impossible to make, but further investigations of the area should start there. My final word on this matter must also stipulate. I feel that, despite my personal feelings about the Office of Orb Research, I am willing to work with them to complete the rest of this investigation, but to do so may require more resources, including access to the handover materials and related documentation and materials related to the Dark Orb. As of this time, the Office of Orb Research has placed me on standby. Other materials not specifically mentioned previously in this port can be found in supplements F through J. Agent Kuva served spectacularly during the investigation, and despite the death of Marcus McConnell, she did the right thing in disabling him when she did. And that is Dark Orb by me, Dr. Izix. A tale about an investigator of some sort. And some really weird stuff going on. Feel free to leave a comment if you uh, got some, some, some thoughts about the nature of this particular world I've given you a glimpse into. Or if you just enjoyed it and uh, want to say so. But uh, look forward in the near future of more Watches of Tomorrow as we start off to go beyond the farthest star or something like that. Till next time, everybody. Toodles.